because Piers Cunningham, our COVID-19 reporter, is standing by to join us and bring us up to speed on all things COVID. Piers, welcome once again to RPPFM. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Brandon. Good to be with you. Victoria's numbers are coming down. It's encouraging. We are seeing two days, the second day in a row of sub-1,000 numbers. So uh, it was 989 new cases yesterday, 941 today. And uh, that, that really is encouraging news. We're, we're at uh, 91.9% of first dose of, uh, for 16 and over and 81.6% uh, for second dosing. So uh, 117 people in ICU, shouldn't forget them. But uh, the numbers are encouraging and let's hope we can sort of follow New South Wales and drive down those daily numbers as we open up. Looking forward to it very much indeed, as we heard from Emily Minnie in the uh, Top of the Clock News Bulletin. Looks like international students are sort of lining up and salivating to get back to Australia as well. I can imagine that there are a number of people overseas that are having some of those family reunions, but I'm sure that there's a whole lot more want to get back to Oz and get out of Oz as well and start enjoying the world as it once was. Exactly, and I think that all of that is sort of starting to happen. I think you're actually able to go to Fiji if you wanted to have a holiday up in the Pacific. You can do that. And you can head over to the UK and the US, I think, in early this month, early November. Yep. So so things are opening up, and let's hope countries like Japan and uh, other destinations open up you know, as we, as we hit that uh, 90% vaccination level, which really will make us a very high, highly vaccinated country, uh, comparing very favourably with any other place on the planet. It's very, very good news, isn't it? Singapore as well, I think, is imminent or just has opened as well. So get that certificate on your uh, smart device or carry a certificate with you and away you go uh, exactly. travelling around the world. Absolutely. I think everyone's looking forward to it, Brendan. Absolutely. Now, as they do start travelling as well, though, Pierce, I've been reading in, and it looks like China, of course, um, which identified the first of the viruses, the COVID-19 viruses in Wuhan, way back in, what was it, uh, December, November 2019, looks like the Delta virus is having some serious problems for the Chinese government. They're locking down great swathes of Beijing and Shanghai as well, and they're taking a pretty tough stance on it. And, and yet their numbers are really amazingly low, uh, if the official numbers anyway, for the course of the, the pandemic uh, since uh, since March 2020, considering they're, a, well, they're the, the origin of the virus out of Wuhan, but also the world's most populous nation with, uh, what is it, 1.4 billion people. So to have only a total of 126,000 confirmed cases with 5,696 deaths to date, job of suppressing the virus and including the Delta strain, the far more aggressive and, uh, and transmissible version that's, that's now doing the rounds of the planet. Uh, those are official figures, but uh, obviously the Chinese do have the, uh, the ability to, to uh, really tightly control their population. It is a, it's a country which doesn't shy away from pretty draconian and tough measures to stamp out and get control of COVID. Well, indeed. And I mean, if one report is right, apparently authorities in Shanghai the other day shut down Disneyland there. 30,000 yeah. revelers stuck inside. They wouldn't let them out until they did some testing. I mean, Yeah, and that was because of a single visitor to Disneyland in Shanghai being found to have the virus. 
30,000 people locked up because of that as they went through the crowd. 30,000 people. My goodness gracious me, the Chinese authorities, when they're on it, they're certainly on it, and their policy of zero COVID. I mean, they must be really panicked about the implications of Delta getting out in that population. As you say, it's huge, Piers. Got so many cities with 20 million or more people. You know, more than I think most uh, or any other country on the planet. Perhaps maybe India would, would be up in that sort of league. But you know, because of the the tight density of, of the way people have to live, uh, if you got a runaway outbreak of Delta, it could really do some serious damage. And they obviously want to protect their economy. Uh, they want to keep their trade going. They want to keep their factories open. Well, let's move northwest out of China now, across the border into Russia. Looks like the Russian authorities also trying to cope with another Delta outbreak as well. Some terrible yeah, that, figures coming out of there. Yeah, that's right. The Russians have um, apparently got a bit of a problem with um, vaccine hesitancy. That seems to be part of the issue there. Uh, so, yeah, they're recording close to to 40,000 new cases each day at the moment. Uh, they've had uh, over 8.5 million infections and 475,000 COVID-related deaths since the pandemic began. So, yeah, they are seeing some uh, some spikes in the number of daily infections and also, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the number of daily deaths over there. Well, it's amazing, actually. I, I was getting some analysis out of London, out of the Financial Times, and they reckon the last report that I saw from them was 753,000 people have died of COVID in Russia. That's the latest figures, according to FT. And it's kind of an interesting comparison to make. So that's comparing the, what, the, the normal number of people who die of, of all the, you know, the regular diseases that, that the world deals with without a pandemic. Um, so that's 750,000 uh, have died during the pandemic compared with historical trends. So uh, I'm assuming that's, that's referring to the normal numbers that die of things like cancer and heart disease and all those perennial killers. OK, that's good. That's an interesting caveat there, Piers, and good on you for picking that one up because there I was getting very alarmist. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point that you make. But obviously, you see, both the Chinese and the Russians, they have their own vaccines. Uh, the question is, uh, are they as effective as the stuff that we're using in the West? Well, interestingly, you mentioned students wanting to get back into Australia, and obviously unis want them back desperately because they're a major part of their business and major part of the uh, sort of expansion we've seen of the, the tertiary education system in uh, Australia in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, and I think Australia is going to recognise the Sinopharm. as two vaccinations that are available for Chinese in China. One is Sinopharm, one is Sinovac. And the Sinopharm vaccine apparently will be recognised by Australian authorities for returning students. Wow. Now, finally, I just wish that I bought a couple of shares in Pfizer a few years ago because I tell you what, the numbers that they are producing at the moment and the amount of money that they are turning over as they roll out uh, this vaccine for this pandemic, it's astronomical. Yep, that's right. So the uh, the 2021 sales forecast for COVID, the COVID vaccine is... Um, uh, it has been raised to $36 billion. That's obviously because we're not done dealing with uh, the virus and, and also there's a lot of countries which are now looking to roll out the third dose. So Israel did that quite effectively, I believe. They, brought, they, they opened up after two doses and then they started to find six months later 
uh, thereabouts that uh, the vaccine uh, protection was waning. So they, they brought back some restrictions. They brought, brought back mask wearing and other uh, social distancing measures uh, and the third dose, and that seems to have really driven down their numbers. So a third dose seems to be very effective, and I believe that if you've had two AstraZeneca doses, which a lot of the older crew in Australia, so 50-plus, 60-plus, you actually will be recommended to have a third shot when you eventually need a booster, but of Pfizer, not of AstraZeneca. So um, it's kind of interesting mixing and matching of vaccines happening there. Well, thank you very much indeed, because an old codger like me obviously needs my third vaccine update very, very soon. And just getting back to Pfizer, here's another stat for you, um, peers that I came across. Pfizer, the company expects $29 billion, $29 billion in revenue next year due to the wider distribution of its product. $29 billion. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it, isn't it interesting, though, that you know AstraZeneca, which in, in Australia, there's something like 7 million doses sitting around potentially going to waste here. So Pfizer has really dominated the market. It is a for-profit vaccine, whereas AstraZeneca is a not-for-profit vaccine. It was developed with a model that, that just covered its cost, whereas Pfizer is definitely profit-driven, and they are, as you say, they're, gonna, they're forecasting massive profits. I, I, I'm a little bit cynical in a way because because of that profit motive, it does draw, to me, it draws into question a little bit some of these claims about how good the vaccine is over AstraZeneca, for example. You know, it's a bit hard to be absolutely sure, I feel, when uh, you've got a, a clear benefit from a profit point of view in in the way that the marketing is done, the the, uh, the way the thing is presented in the media as, as being so demonstrably better than other options that we have. But look, I don't know. I'm just that's just my slight cynical or, or, or sceptical view of those figures that we see and, and the reports we have about how good Pfizer is compared with other vaccines that are available, but without those big profits, perhaps. Well, Piers Cunningham, you are our go-to COVID-19 reporter, and we respect your opinion very much indeed. But quite frankly, I'll go the AstraZeneca, designed in Oxford, produced and manufactured here in Australia. I'm still vertical and uh, loving life. Exactly. So it could be a decision that you can make, and and great that we are making a a vaccine here. Up until recently, there were reports that it it held on to its protection for longer than than the Pfizer did. But now that we're having a recommended third dose, a a booster shot, suddenly Pfizer's back in vogue and and, uh, is reported to actually have longer protection than AstraZeneca does. And, And that's actually, as I said, that's the one that's being recommended even if you've had two shots of AstraZeneca. Uh, Brendan, I wonder if we've got a quick moment just to mention these emergency powers that are going through the Victorian Parliament. They've passed the lower house and they're now uh, going through the upper house, which is where the the government is going to have to draw on. uh, It doesn't have the numbers in its own right, so it has to draw on cross benches, which I believe it has, to be able to get this this, uh, legislation through. But I just thought I'd draw uh, listeners' attention to the fact that there is a group of very senior QCs, Queen's Council silks in Victoria, who've come out with an open letter and, and said that this is really concerning legislation and that it should not be allowed. They kind of liken it to the ability to rule by decree to deal with unforeseen and extraordinary emergency in, in circumstances of extreme urgency. But they say it's... Um, it is, it is concerning to, quote, entrench rule by decree as a long-term norm. And in their view, 
of a selection of very senior QCs. There's uh, a couple of dozen of them. So top legal minds really concerned about that new legislation, which is trying to entrench emergency powers indefinitely. It does seem to uh, run against the uh, democratic system and democratic values which we hold so dear in this country. Well, it'll be interesting to see whether they can rein in the executive arm of government, and I'm sure there's going to be some very heated and interesting discussions in and around Spring Street in coming days and weeks. The federal government's even said that they might override it if they they don't want to. They they prefer that the voters of Victoria exercise their rights at the ballot box to upend a government that has these kind of uh, undemocratic powers, but they have said that it would be possible to uh, override from the the federal side if necessary. So interesting developments, interesting politics going on. I had a quick word with uh, Georgie Crozier recently and uh, she described that legislation as shocking, so I'm hoping to hear more from the Deputy Leader for the Opposition in the Legislative Council, which is where those laws are being debated at the moment. Appreciate your time, Piers. Thanks once again for your COVID-19 update here at RWPFM Peninsula Talks. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.